0: open our bibles to the book of luke the gospel of luke in chapter number 21 the gospel of luke in chapter number 21 We're going to continue our series uh, crisis america in crisis and uh, next sunday we're going to finish it up woohoo some of you're you're going the history lessons will end some of you're going woohoo And next week we talk about prophecy. Isn't that even better? After all of what we've done in in Sunday school through the Book of Revelation, and we're going to tackle that uh, prophecy in America as well. So, anyhow, there are many people who say America is uh, uh, different is no different than any any other nation in relation to Christ's return. And I'm going to show you this morning that the the nation of America was in the promise. Of God and figures into the end time prophecy in a very specific way there are some who say well America is not found in end time prophecy in the Bible and well may not be specifically named you don't see the word America in the Bible but uh, we're going to going to see that from history and from what God has done in the nation of Israel its relationship to America that uh, America figures very prominently in God's plan and the return of Christ in in end-time prophecy. So I want us to, to read, read and we'll begin uh, uh, in chapter 21 and uh, begin reading in verse number 28. Chapter 21 and verse number 28, it says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And let's drop down to verse number 34. And it says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with uh, surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And to stand before the Son of Man. In that day, and in that day time, he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple, for to hear him. And so, as we jump in the uh, parallel passage that you see there is also uh, Matthew chapter twenty-four. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is the same message from Luke's perspective that Jesus delivered in Matthew 24. And it's uh, one of the uh, last sermons that Jesus preached. And when uh, we come to consider America in the end times, we have to consider the role America has played in the founding of the, the modern state of Israel. And because our nation was founded as a Christian nation, founded on the principles of Holy Scripture. So from the very beginning, our founding fathers... Uh, felt a kinship with the disbanded and the dispersed nation of Israel. We remember that, that at the time our nation was founded, Israel was not a nation. They, uh, they were not a nation. We remember that uh, uh, they, the uh, Israel was not. They were dispersed over the face of the earth. But a, a Jewish banker from Philadelphia, Hyman Solomon, went to Jews in America and in Europe And he gathered a million dollars from all the sources that he could. He brought that million dollars back to America and he gave it to General George Washington to be used for the starving and poorly clad, poorly equipped troops in America who were about to lose the war for independence. I read that here a few weeks ago and I went, wow. Our kinship with Israel began there along with the faith of General George Washington. But General George Washington used the money to buy food, buy arms, buy equipment, outfit his army to make a, a stand against the British and to show his appreciation for what this particular Israelite had done. George Washington decided to, to the, uh, that the engravers of the United States one dollar bill would include a memorial to the Jewish people. If you dig out your dollar bill, and you look at your dollar one dollar bill today, it's still there today. <coughs> you say, "What? Well, where? Where is that?" Well, the memorial to the Jewish people is right over the head of the American eagle on the one dollar bill. It's uh, it's there. If uh, you look at that bill closely, you'll see thirteen stars over the eagle's head that form the uh, six pointed star of David which is a symbol of the national, uh, na- the uh, the nation of Israel. And around that is a cloudburst re- representing the glory of God in the tabernacle as it re- was represented in Scripture. And President George Washington specified this was to be the last memorial of the Jewish people to for for their help in winning America's war, uh, to be a lasting memorial, not the last memorial, but uh, in winning America's war for, for independence. Now, before the revolution is cult, uh, or revisionist cult, of, of, uh, of uh, <laughs> have cut out all of Christianity in our textbooks today. Before they got a hold of that, American history textbooks carried a story that showed where Washington's heart was. It, uh, you come along concerning God and how God's hand was especially on General Washington. On, on July 9th, 1755, in a battle in the, uh, in, in the French and Indian War, George Washington was leading American and British troops against a, an Indian force. And Washington was the sole mounted officer in the fight that day. Despite the fact that he had four bullet holes in his coat and two horses shot out from under him, Washington survived that battle. That's just amazing. You look and you go, there he is. He survived that battle. More than half of the, the nearly 1,300 American British soldiers were killed, including... The British officer Edward Braddock, history at the time, <coughs> excuse me, dubbed General Washington bulletproof because of that incident. And the fact that he never was, was never wounded in battle became a legend throughout America and Great Britain history. God needed a godly man to be first, the first president of the United States, so it appeared that God's hand of protection was upon Washington his entire life, really amazing to look at and to walk through. And you just, in a way, I go, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) just amazing to to see the pieces. Benjamin Franklin preferred a different way (laughs) of honoring the Jews. In 1776, at the Continental Congress, Franklin suggested that the great seal, of the United States bear the likeness of a triumphant Moses leading the children of Israel through the divided waters of the Red Sea and the waters crashing in on Pharaoh in the background. (laughs) I like Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) More ways than I can count, but uh, there we are. How about Thomas Jefferson, on the other hand, preferred the image showing the children of Israel marching through the desert with rays from the pillar of fire ahead and the final design of the great seal included... a pyramid symbolic of Egypt, and the eagle symbolizing God's protection, and rays of fire, a, a cloud symbolizing the d- divine leadership, all of this was symbolic of the liberation and the freedom of God's people as God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt and led them into the Promised Land. Now as President Washington welcomed the Jews as partners in building our new nation, he made it plain from the very beginning the founding of America that there would be no bigotry no anti-semitism in America toward Jewish people he made that very clear and the second president of the United States John Adams wrote this he said I would insist that the Hebrews have done more to civilize man than any other nation and he said I really wish the Jews again in Judea an independent nation throughout our history God has used many American presidents to be friendly toward Israel and the Jews. And God has used America in various and sundry ways and and wonderful ways to help Israel become a nation once again. So God said to Abraham long ago, I will bless them that bless thee. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. I will make you a great nation as the stars of heaven, as the sands of the sea. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse And history proves what God said. We look back and you go, the nations who have cursed Israel have been cursed. And those who have blessed Israel, though they be few, they've been blessed. So some indicators. You go say, man, preacher, you gave us all that history. I just can't help it because that was really cool. I told Heather I was so excited just to share that alone. Let alone all of what else God has in the message this morning and because uh, i was like i love that history to look at and say look at how look at how our history uh the history of our country the history of of uh, of our, our uh of 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 israel or god's chosen people so how does that figure into the return of christ well i want us to look first of all at the indicators of christ's return <coughs> matthew 24 and verse 32 and the look first uh Of all, we see the planting of Israel as an indicator of Christ's return. Matthew 24, it says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, what's he saying? Jesus is saying that some... Generations have passed. Some have seen signs and mentioned in Matthew 24. But prior to this verse, some have, have seen many of the signs. But he says the generation that sees all of the signs is the generation that will see his return. He also says the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree is the generation which the coming of Christ is even at the door. Now, the fig tree, being a symbol of the nation of Israel... So Jesus is saying the generation that sees the nation of Israel budding and greening is the generation that is near to the coming of Christ, the return of Jesus to the land uh, or to the earth once again. Now we look and you go, there it is, May 15th, 1948. Some of us go, well, there it is. Israel became a nation for the first time in a thousand uh, years and when Jesus walked the face of the earth, Israel was not a sovereign nation. When Isaiah prophesied, Jeremiah prophesied, Israel went uh, into captivity. And from that time on, Israel was not a nation. And when the Reformation took place under Martin Luther, Israel was not a nation. When America was born, the Constitution written, Israel was not a nation. When World War I came, Israel was not a nation. Israel didn't become a nation until after the Holocaust we walk through and you go there it is and indeed it was the holocaust that brought about the events that made it possible for israel to be de- de- to be declared a sovereign nation after the holocaust no country on earth except the united states would receive the jews and there have uh, there may have been a, a few there that are exceptions but in the main even after all they had been through most of the countries of the world didn't want to accept the surviving Jews of the Holocaust. They, they didn't want to go to most countries on earth. They wanted to have their own sovereign state where never again they'd be persecuted as they were under Hitler. So when the United Nations met in the strange politics of the post-World War Two era, they came up with a plan to petition Israel to give part to the Arabs, part to the Jews, and make the city of Jerusalem a zone run by the United Nations. Many nations protested. They didn't want the Jews to have any part of the nation of Israel. Four million Arabs and about 400,000 Jews, they didn't want Israel to be born as a nation. God used President Harry Truman. That's uh, to make it possible for Israel to become a nation. Harry Truman, uh, you may not know this, but I, in reading about him, uh, I found he read the Bible through twice before he was 12 years old. I was like, that's pretty cool. And uh, what a tremendous discipline his parents must have had as well. But he already had a love for Israel. He, he knew they were God's chosen people. And when Roosevelt died and Truman came into to the office of presidency, a simple man m- from Missouri took the reins of leadership at an awesome time and he brought the end of the World War II made a decision to drop the atomic bomb and in, ins- in the ensuing days World War II was the first nation on earth to sign off on Israel becoming a sovereign state. Then leading rabbi in Jerusalem with met with President Truman and here's what he said. He said, God puts you in your mother's womb, so you would be an instrument to bring about Israel's birth after 2,000 years. Truman well, God has used America. America figures greatly into end times prophecy, but but more than that, Jesus said, the one who sees the fig fig tree green, the one who sees Israel replanted as a nation, that is the generation which Christ will return. There's peace to that that because you go, we're living among that generation. You look and say, we're living among that generation. There were other signs. We can look at the the promotion of the false faith in uh, Matthew 24 and verse number 5. And many will come in my name and say, I, I am Christ and, and shall deceive many. And we can talk about the 20th century and <coughs> how we've witnessed the decline of most mainline Christian denominations and the rise of cults and between 2 and 5 million young adults between 18 and 25 are involved in in between 2 and 5000 different cult groups. Turn on the television any day of the week and you'll find preachers preaching distorted doctrines of of, of the precious plan of salvation. We we have many coming and deceiving many all kinds of false religions. Islam growing at an alarming rate and over a billion adherents. The Mormons, the Jehovah witnesses, the the uh, countless others who preach a false gospel and a, a false Bible and give people a false hope are proliferating and Jesus said this is a sign of the end times see the prol- proliferation of war And Matthew 24 and verses 6 and 7 you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars <laughs> ever turn on TV and not hear of that <laughs> you know we, we've come to a place where where, where we've, we've just begin to uh, on a 24-hour news channel you hear about those wars and everywhere on the planet how about pestilences of famines and and, and epidemic diseases and earthquakes <laughs> I'll hesitate there and before I say anymore because we go hmm interesting and since 1900 the world has experienced more than a hundred different earthquakes where a thousand or more have been killed of 21 earthquakes in the history of the world where more more than 50,000 were killed. More than half of them have taken place in the last century. December 2003, an earthquake hit Iran that killed 30,000 people, injured 30,000 more, and left 100,000 homeless. At the same time, on the same day, Several other earthquakes took place that registered 5.0 on the Richter, sc- Richter scale. That's a sign of his coming. You see, he's coming soon. I like the old song that says he's coming soon, there's no doubt, and I'm going to leave this whole world with a shout. We look at all of this, he's coming. There's a part of it we might look at and say the, 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 "the it's difficult. The next one that Jesus pointed out there in Matthew 24 and verse number 9 is the fact that there will be persecution of believers all around the world persecution of believers all around the world he says then shall you deliver up the uh, to to be afflicted and you, and, and shall kill you You shall be hated among all nations for my name's sake we, we say well we live safe in America but you know what it's amazing stand up for Jesus to find out what kind of cultural challenges that we have today We get out in, in different situations or different places and you go wait a minute, but do you realize? Do you know that more than 65% of nearly 69.5 million believers who have been killed for their faith have been killed in the 20th century? That is, is most of the people who died for their faith have died in our time. We have more that have died in our time than, than what have in, any, in, in the history, uh, any other time in history. We look, walk through then there's the problem of terrorism Jesus said in chapter 24 and verse 12 uh, in the book of Matthew Jesus predicted that he said uh, and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold what is that That iniquity the, the word there means lawlessness it means cold blooded murder it means people who are so cold blooded that they'll kill innocent people with no thought whatsoever did you know that Hitler's terrorist organizations, the most radical religion in the world is the fundamentalist Islam. Because if you're not of their group, you're an infidel worthy of death. The greatest threat to peace in this world is a militant Islam. And then the perseverance of the faithful is a sign. We have many faithful believers. The Bible says in Matthew 24, and verse 13, but he shall endure to the end. The same shall be saved. Pastor, does that mean that I'm saved by enduring to the end? No. That means if you endure to the end, it proves you're saved. It proves you're saved. It means if if you don't give up or or, uh, back up or slack up until you're taken up, it means you're saved. (coughs) Perseverance doesn't make you say perseverance proves our salvation we don't persevere to be saved we persevere because we are saved and if we weren't saved we wouldn't have the power to persevere then there's the preaching of the gospel now, matthew would remind us and he says in this gospel is the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations shall come up because of the advent of uh, of the uh, satellite technology we can preach the gospel across the globe Very simple, the message today. Uh, We were talking about it in Sunday school. Brittany was putting up our podcast stuff, getting it ready, and I thought it was really kind of funny because she says, Did you know? And she's rattling off all the states in which people have listened to our podcast. And then she goes, Dad, did you know? And she started naming off the countries where we've had people that have listened to our podcast across. And I said, Yeah, I know a couple of those guys. I went to college with them. But uh, it's really kind of interesting because you look and you go, how easy is it for us to get around the globe today thanks to satellite technology and the preaching of the gospel all the way around the globe? It's never been an easier time. Now, in John's time, it had been impossible for the world to travel in three days to Jerusalem to see the dead bodies of the prophets. We go down through that that piece of the, the, the picture and, and it says that after three days, the spirit of life will enter them once again, and they'll ascend to heaven to God while all the world watches. Now, I can tell you that we can go back, and, and it doesn't take very long in your mind and mine, to be able to go back and say, for all the world to watch, we would have had a terrible time doing it. But in today's electronic media, we can have it now, and we don't have to be at home. We're out and about. And we look and you say, there's, a, again, one more of those pictures that helps us to see. And and so Jesus said, don't be caught in a trap, unaware. Don't be caught in, in the trap where you don't know. And then there's the pursuit of knowledge, technology, and travel. And when Daniel got finished with his prophecy, God said seal it up till the time of the end Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 says but thou Daniel shut up the word seal the book even to the time of the end many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased It's exactly what's happening knowledge of, of the coming of the Lord is being increased and the knowledge in general is being increased how much faster years ago the scientists believed they could predict how knowledge would grow the rate in which knowledge would grow. And they reduced it down to, by the year, 1 AD, that would be equal to uh, one unit of information. And they estimated that it took knowledge 1,500 years to grow two units of information. But then 1,500 to 1,750, it doubled again to four units of knowledge. From 1750 to 1900, it grew 150 units. It doubled yet again. And through the 20th century, the rate of knowledge growth sped up until now it only takes two years at most to double the database. The rate of knowledge growth. And you say, Daniel? He's coming soon. And and now, in our scientific developments, the technology doubles, knowledge doubles at, at least every year so the, the textbooks become out of date when they're printed. And that's why people in the medicine and science uh, specialize in one area because if they don't, then they can't keep up with the technology and the new information that's being discovered and put out there. It's a sign of the return soon return of our lord and that's exciting now they want to clone people make no mistake about it they want to clone human beings and they want to take the power from the creator and put it in the hands of human beings so that human beings get the glory for creating other human beings and and i believe that god one of these days is going to say enough's enough and god's going to interfere and come down and he's going to say Life is my business, it's not yours. The impact of Christ's return. You say, well, what about the impact of his return? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall all, we, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trump. The trumpet of the sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What is the impact on America? What kind of impact is that going to have? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? America is the most Christianized nation on earth. 23% of Americans say they're born again. So let's just say 23% of America disappeared. in four, just short of one in four disappeared, 65 million Americans disappear all of a sudden what kind of impact will that have on America well let's see that's 20 times the shock of nine eleven. most of us remember that name. that's 20 times the shock what kind of impact economically, emotionally Psychologically, is that going to have on America? When the President of the United States, he say, is taken, how many senators are going to be taken? How many governors? How many judges? How many, how, how many business leaders? How many mayors? How many city officials? How many policemen, firefighters, or how many others that, that are vital to running our nation? How many soldiers? How many of those that, that work at nuclear facilities? Can you imagine the impact? When you think about 9-11 and what it did in stopping our country, can you imagine what it will look like at Christ's return? Just, I mean, a screeching (laughs) halt. What about the impact on the world? I mean that's America. We can think about 9/11, look at it that way, but what about the impact on the world? Well, what will, will happen if every person uh, of of solid moral character was suddenly gone from this world? What would would happen? You can paint your own scenario. What about the impact of the church, the the true church would be gone. Only the the false church preaching the false gospel and and, and a false Christ would be left and They'll be preparing the way for the Antichrist, the coming of the world leader, and they'll, they'll be encouraging people to take his mark, and, and, and amazing impact. There's a saying in the military that was was made famous by, by the book Black Hawk Down, and they said, no one gets left behind. You possibly saw that, and you saw the movie, you heard them use that phrase, and in their frustration under attack and, and a dis- disaster militarily-wise, but they said no one gets left behind. And as a church, that's what we need to be doing. Nobody needs to be left behind. We need to say no one gets left behind. We're going to win them to Jesus. We're going to going to get about the main thing, and we're going to forget about the pretty things, but nobody gets left behind. Nobody I know that is, is lost folks get left behind but we need to say nobody see the eminence of Christ's return is no man knows the day or the hour nobody knows the day or, or the hour but my father only Jesus said as the days of Noah so shall be the coming of the son of man for as in the days of Noah as in the days of the flood as in the the eating and the drinking and the debauchery and the, the marrying and the giving in marriage <coughs> until the the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the, the flood came and took them away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other is going to be left. Watch therefore you know not what hour your Lord doth come. To paraphrase his words, we could say, Two police officers will be patrolling. One will be taken, the other left. Two firefighters will be fighting a blaze. One will be taken, the other left. Two students sitting in class. One will be taken, the other left. A man and and a wife. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two church members sitting in church. One will be taken, and the other left. Two women grocery shopping. One will be taken. day soon, we're going to look to the eastern sky and see a light that's brighter than the light that blinded Saul of Tarsus. What a great day that's going to be. He went on his way to Damascus. You'll see that greater light than what blinded him. You'll see the light, a lightning flash. You'll hear the sound of the archangel and a a heavenly choir will sound the praise of the returning king and the trumpet will sound and the king of, of kings and the lord of lords will appear and the eternal prince of peace will come from the sky marbled mausoleums will break open as the dead in Christ rise first and and gravity will be suspended as they rise to meet the returning Lord we'll look down at our glorified body which will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and in a moment we're going to enter those pearly gates and we're going to be welcomed by Abraham Isaac and Jacob We'll see Moses who stretched forth his hand and divided the, the Red Sea. We'll see John the Revelator who who, ex, who was exiled from the Isle of Patmos. He saw Jesus standing in the midst of the golden candlestick, and you'll see the big fisherman, Simon Peter. How about the Apostle Paul who turned the world's upside down will be on the welcoming committee, and as you turn to look to see, maybe it'll be one of those precious loved ones that have gone on before that prayed for us that we would would see them. Maybe it would be a grandparent or a mom or a dad, and you see that that child that never grew to adulthood, or uh, you see that that wife or that husband that that, that uh, was robbed in white glory, but all of a sudden, all of us with that great throng will turn and we'll look to the one who's sitting upon the throne. <laughs> Crowned with many crowns, we'll bow before it. And as we behold the Lamb who's slain, who's worthy of all of our praise, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that will be the day that is coming soon. See, we will see Him, and we will say, it was worth it all. It was worth it all now that I've seen Jesus. Meanwhile, those who are on earth, that look like? They're going to be shocked, they're going to be bewildered, confused, lost. Soon they will turn to the only one who offers them hope, the most evil, sinister, deceptive force to ever walk this planet. They will take his mark, they will leave his life, his life. He's coming soon, and I'm thankful it's not all gloom and day. I'm thankful it's not all gloom and day. I'm thankful that we can walk through and say, I've got a home in glory lane that outshines the sun because he has promised that he would prepare a place for me. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can walk through and, Get to take a journey for those who have gone ahead. I can't wait. <laughs> I put that in there about Moses <laughs> in the parting the Red Sea. I'm curious when we come through the gates is Moses' hands going to be in the air or is he going to be shaking the head? Because I'd like to shake the hands when, he re- when the sea parted. <laughs> hey Moses, buddy, there we are. I go on and on.